Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Good to see you all here today, especially on this weekend. I know sometimes it can be a challenge to make it out to church and worship on this weekend in between Christmas and New Year's. Um, but I'm glad that you guys are here. You are the ones that said no to travel and vacations. And you said, nope, we are going to be there and we are going to worship God. And then some of you are here because you're traveling and on vacation. And so you were brought with a family member. Uh, maybe you didn't know church was going to be part of your travel plans until recently when they said, hey, we're going to church and you're coming with us. So we're glad that you're here. And then there might be some of you that are here because you're avoiding family plans and you thought, hey, you know what, if we tell them we got to go to church, then we can't go. So whatever brings you here today, we are glad that you are here with us, uh, especially you guys that are at our campuses as well in DeKalb and in Aurora and Streamwood. Thanks for being here today. And those of you that are traveling that are watching online. Uh, today we are in the last week of our series called Supernatural, where we have been looking at the miraculous aspects of the birth of Christ. And up to this point, we've talked about uh, the portions of the Christmas story that are pretty familiar that you probably would expect for us to talk about. We've talked about, you know, how the prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus came and fulfilled those prophecies. We've talked about the miraculous virgin birth of Mary giving birth to baby Jesus. We've talked about the angels and their announcement. And today we are talking about the dragon who attacked uh, so it's a little lesser known part of the Christmas story from Revelation 12. There aren't a lot of Christmas carols written about Revelation. But that's what we're going to talk about today because we want to look at the full picture of what happened at Christmas, not just, you know, more of the familiar traditional parts. Now, there is a group of us that were in an email conversation about this series in the days and weeks leading up to it. And when we we're talking about the different topics and the different titles, I said, clearly, the dragon attacked. I mean, I have easily the coolest title of the series. And Corey, who preached a couple weeks ago from our Streamwood campus, he emailed and he suggested that I get the title tattooed somewhere on myself. And I was like, eh, I don't know about that. And then Clayton took it one step further and actually sent me a picture of what he thought I should get tattooed. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> Very appropriate to the topic, but I mean, even to get that as a fake would take longer than I'm actually going to be talking to you. So I said no to that. Plus, we already have a pastor on staff who likes to flaunt his tattoos. And so I'm just going to leave that for him. Uh, if you are a guest, that is our senior pastor, Pastor Jim Nicodine. So, but we're going to jump in today and we're going to look again at Revelation 12. Before we do that, let's pray together. God, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for um, all that we have to celebrate and give thanks for that is represented by your birth, your life, your death, your resurrection. And so I pray today as we look at your word that um, you would help us corporately as a church and then individually to receive from you whatever it is 
you have for us today. I know that as we all sit together um, in various rooms and various campuses and in living rooms and wherever we might be watching online, that we all bring with us very unique challenges, very unique struggles, very unique life situations. And you, through the power of your spirit, uh, through the truth of your word, and through the love of your people, are able to meet each and every one of us where we are and provide for us what we need. And we trust that you will do that for us together today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so normally when we celebrate Christmas, when we think about Christmas, we think about this particular passage, this particular aspect of the Christmas story that we're going to look at together here. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Oh, yeah, it's adorable, isn't it? That's actually not what Christmas is all about. It's very much part of what Christmas is about. But what Revelation 12 does is it pulls back the curtain a little bit and shows us a different aspect, a very true, very real, very important aspect of what Christmas is also about. Uh, the book of Revelation basically gives us a description of the end times. In summary, it's kind of how we see God's final and complete victory over his arch enemy, Satan. Uh, it's written with apocalyptic language, there is vivid colors, there are symbolic numbers, there's battles with angels versus demons. It is an interesting read. And, you know, if you're a Star Wars lover or those kinds of genres of things, you will love Revelation. Uh, if you are not a Star Wars lover, you still need to spend time in Revelation because it's part of God's word and it's an important part of what he's doing in the world. Revelation 12 sits, you know, pretty much at the center of the book, and it's very much at the center of the book theologically, as to the theological perspective of what's happening. We read about this war in heaven and this war between Satan and Jesus. We look at his birth, the birth of Christ, and his ascension. The fact that salvation has already come, that it's already been secured for us, and yet at the same time, we find ourselves in a very real cosmic battle. So let's jump in and let's 
Look at Revelation 12. We're going to read the entire chapter, 17 different verses broken up. We're going to read it in three different parts. And so I'm going to start by reading the first nine verses and follow along and see as I read if you can detect in here the Christmas story. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Let's thank God for his word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we see here this battle, this war that has broken out. And who are the characters that we read about? Well, first we have this woman who's pregnant and about to give birth. And that's Mary. Um, But it's not just Mary. It's also a reference to God's people. It's also a reference to those, the Israelites and those that have put their faith and trust in him. Um, When we read about the crown of 12 stars on her head in verse 1, that's a reference to the 12 tribes of Israel. And so Mary here is a representative of that group. Um, So it's Mary specifically, and then Mary as a representative of a wider group of people. Uh, The dragon is very much a character here, and it spells out very specifically that that's referencing the devil. It's referencing Satan as a character. Uh, And then, of course, the baby, it's Jesus, is a major contributing character to this story. So that's who we read about. And what's happening here is Satan is trying to defeat Jesus. Satan is trying to win this war. And he's done it multiple times. As we look in Scripture, we see multiple times in multiple places where Satan has tried to defeat Jesus. And we read about it here when in uh, verse 4, it talks about this woman who's about to give birth to a son and this dragon stands ready to devour. That's a reference to King Herod in the New Testament. We read about Jesus was born and King Herod tried to find out his location so that he could go not to worship him, but to kill him. And then later on in the Gospels, we read about Jesus in the wilderness and how Satan meets him there and tempts him and tries to defeat him. And Satan is defeated himself. Jesus wins once again. And of course, Satan's ultimate attack on Jesus happened at the cross, where Jesus gives his life, not for his own sin, because he never had any, but for yours and for mine and the sins of the world, 
And God wins once again as he raises Jesus back to life. So that's what's going on. So Revelation chapter 12 is a good reminder to us that things are not always as they appear. And we know this through various circumstances in life. Sometimes things don't happen the way on the surface level it looks like they're happening. Or maybe the surface level only tells us part of the truth. Um, maybe your family, like mine, takes lots of pictures together, right? Especially when family gets together and holidays. And, um, and maybe your family, like mine, has some people in it. Maybe they're teenagers. Hello, all you teenagers that are here with us that don't really love or get super excited about taking pictures. And so I've developed a strategy with my kids over the years. I tell them, look, fake smile, and then we can be done with this, okay? So on the surface, maybe you don't appreciate that strategy, but on the surface, you might look at it, and years from now, somebody might look at that picture and say, oh, look at those beautiful boys and how happy they were to be with their grandparents and their aunts and uncles and cousins in that moment taking that picture. Oh, that's maybe part of what's going on, but there's more going on underneath the surface. Or if you think about, uh, you know, the latest and greatest spy movie that you saw or book that you read, where you've got this character, this individual that's been embedded into normal daily life and they're living a particular role in society. But all while that's going on, there's this whole other thing that's going on. There's this whole other aspect of reality to where they are, you know, trying to find somebody out or they're, they're accomplishing a mission. There's more happening than what you just see on the surface. Or on a more serious level, maybe there's a family that you are in relationship with. And there was a long period of time where you and everybody around that family would have thought, hey, you know what? It looks like everything's great there. Looks like they've got it all together and things are going well and... And then something happens and you find out that was just what was happening on the surface. Revelation 12 reminds us of that reality when it comes to the birth of Christ. The manger and the stable and the shepherds and the angels, that's one aspect of what's happening, but there's a lot more going on that we might not be aware of. There's this war, this cosmic conflict that is at play. A war is basically anytime you've got groups of people that there exists a state of hostility and conflict. Oftentimes it might involve being armed and weapons, depending on, you know, what you're talking about. But that's what a war is. When you've got two opposing forces going against one another. And the reason wars break out is because there is something at stake that is so valuable that both groups feel like the only way this is going to get resolved is through a war, through an armed conflict. And that's what we see happening here in Revelation chapter 12. That there is this conflict that is going out, this war that has broken out. Why? Because God has a particular way that he has created the world and set things up. And Satan is diametrically opposed to that. 
He's unhappy with his role and the amount of responsibility he has, and he is jealous of God, and he is going to battle against him. And you and I are caught very much in the middle of that. Because oftentimes what happens when a war breaks out is because there is something so valuable at stake that opposing forces feel it's necessary to go to battle. And that's what's happening here. And oftentimes what is at stake is you and me. That God who created the world created you very specifically in his image on purpose and Satan wants to kill and destroy you. That's it. That's his goal. He knows he can't win the war against God, and so he's doing everything he can to inflict as much pain as possible on God and on those God loves. You are valuable enough in the eyes of Jesus for him to engage in war over. You are loved and valued by God that much. The war broke out because of what is at stake, and largely what is at stake is you. I recently heard a story about an author named Brennan Manning. He's an author and speaker um, and has influenced thousands and thousands of people. And he tells this story about growing up with a buddy of his in New York, best buddy named Ray lived near each other, went to school together, hung out together. As they got older, they went on double dates together. They bought a car together. They enlisted in the army together. They fought alongside one another in battle. And Brennan tells this story that one day they're in their foxhole and Ray's eating a candy bar and they're just kind of talking, reminiscing about back home and old times when a live grenade comes into their foxhole. And he said, Ray looked at him, smiled, dropped his candy bar, and threw himself on top of that grenade. Ray lost his life, but saved his friend. Years after this, Brennan is in Ray's home and he's talking with Ray's mom. And he asked her what I found to be a very peculiar question. He said, he looked at Ray's mom and he said, do you think Ray really loved me? Now, when I read that, I thought, how could you even ask that question after what he did for you? And apparently Ray's mom felt the same way because Brennan says that she stood up and she looked at him and she pointed her, her finger in his face and said, what more could he have done to show you his love for you? And Brennan Manning says that in the years since then, when he has questioned God's love for him, he pictures Mary, the mother of Jesus, standing up, pointing her finger in his face, and saying, what more could he have done for you? And I know sometimes we wrestle with thoughts and questions and doubts about how much God loves us and does God truly love us and could he forgive me for that and is he able to do those things over there and I would encourage you 
to simply look at what scriptures say about Jesus and all that he has done and ask yourself the question, what more could he have done for you? He engaged in war for you. And so as I have been praying for us leading up to this weekend, one of my prayers for us as a church is that we would live in the victory that has been secured for us both personally and cosmically. That not only are we at war, but as we're going to see in this next section of scripture, that the war has been won. And so when you're thinking about Christmas, when we gather together as a church every year and sing Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm, all is bright, that is true, but it is only a part of the Christmas story. Another very real, very true, very important part of the Christmas story is that war broke out. And we are very much in the forefront of that. Let's look at verses 10 through 12. It says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Salvation and power have come and they triumphed over the enemy. The war is one. The war is won. The victory has been secured. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb. Of course, that's a reference to Jesus. Right? When we celebrate Christmas, when we celebrate the birth of Christ, we're celebrating the fact that Jesus loves us enough that he chose to come and be born as a baby and take on flesh and humanity and that he lived a perfect life. No sin, not one time, never. And then he gave that life, not for his own sin, because he didn't have any, but for your sins and for my sins, for the sins of the world. And God raised him back to life to show the ultimate and final victory over Satan, over sin, and over death. When we think about the victory that has been won for us, when we think about what Jesus' life and death and resurrection means for us and our sin, it means we have forgiveness for our sins. We have forgiveness for the sins that we have already committed. When we go to Jesus and we confess them, the Bible says he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins. We have forgiveness for our sins and we have freedom from our sins. We have freedom from future sins. Not because of our own willpower, not because of our own trying, not because of our own determination, 
But because the Bible says when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, God's Holy Spirit comes and lives inside you and gives you the strength that you need to walk in obedience to Jesus. Now, are you going to be perfect? And are you never, ever going to sin again for the rest of your life? Of course not. Because you are a person. And we live in a world that is full of sin. But we can experience freedom from many of the sins that we would have committed. And if you're kind of caught in a tangle of sin and you're saying like, yeah, Randy, I know that, I've heard that, but here I find myself still doing these things over and over again, then I would encourage you with something. You will receive more freedom if you stop trying as hard and start trusting more. Start trusting in the Holy Spirit that is within you. Start trusting in his love and in his desires for you and in his power and in his strength to get you through as opposed to just mustering up more of your will and saying, this time I'm going to get it right. Because there is a war that we find ourselves in, but that war has been won. They triumph over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. By what you say and what you believe and what you think about God and about yourself. And this next verse, <clears throat> the end of verse 11, says, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So it's talking about actual, real, persecuted believers there. People that didn't love their lives so much that they shrunk from death. But you and I today, we're not living in a place where we have to worry about our lives being taken. Some Christians in the world today, right now, it's a very real threat and concern for them. But what you and I have to think about is what, are the, what is our testimony about Jesus? What is our testimony about God and who he is and what he's able to do? Because the more accurate that is, the greater victory we will receive the more of the victory that has already been won for us, we will be able to live in. So in verse 10, it talks about Satan as the accuser who accuses us be before God day and night. The word devil, the literal translation of that, just means slanderer. The devil is a slanderer. He is a liar. And here's the way that shows up in our lives. He will try and lie to us and try and get us to believe things about God that are not true of who God is. What you believe about God has huge implications for how you live your life on a daily basis. If you question anything about the power of God, about his ability to step into a situation in your life in very real time and display the fullness of his power, that's because Satan has been slandering God to you and you have allowed yourself to believe that. If you have any question about God's ability to show up in your life and to grant forgiveness, 
or if you have any question about God's ability to show up in your life and his desire to grant forgiveness. It's because Satan is an accuser and a slanderer and a liar, and you've allowed yourself to believe that. And I know it's hard to not get into those places where we believe things about God that are not true because sometimes we place more trust in our circumstances and in what we see than in what we know to be true about God in our minds and in our hearts. And if Satan can't get you to believe lies about God, then he will try and get you to believe lies about yourself. He will try and make you question your worth and your value in the eyes of God. He will try and make you equate your performance for God, the good things that you do for him, the gold stars that you get with the amount of love that God has for you. And that's not how it works. God doesn't love you more when you're good than when you're bad. God doesn't love you more when you obey than when you sin. Satan is a liar and an accuser and a slanderer. And what we need to remember is that the war is already won. If there is anything you believe about God, if there is anything you believe about yourself that is not true, it's a lie from Satan. And so how do you continue to grow in your knowledge of what is true about God? You study scripture. You study God's word. How do you grow in your knowledge of yourself and what is true about you and how God created you and how God sees you? You study scripture. You study God's word. I'm sorry if you were looking for like this, you know, kind of secret key that nobody's ever told you before. But there's a reason why around here we encourage so often, read the Bible. Is because it has such important implications for every aspect of our life in Christ. The war has been won. Think about it this way. Let's say there's a kid in your life, you know, a young kid that still gets super excited about Christmas morning and tears out of their room and can't wait to see what the presents are. You know, maybe they're like 17, 18, I don't know. <laughs> maybe a little younger. And they made their Christmas list in June. And there is this one thing that is on their list that they can't live without. When they think about Christmas, sure, there's all the Jesus stuff, but they're really focused on this gift. This is what they want. This is what they're hoping for. And in the weeks leading up to Christmas, they're just getting more and more anxious and more and more frenzied. There's distractions in school and everywhere they go. It's what they're thinking about. It's what they're talking about. And so finally you go to them and you pull them aside and you say, okay, look, listen to me, okay? This thing that you've been asking for, I want you to know I've got it. Like I already bought it. You're gonna get it. I have it. It's yours. They're gonna feel great about that. But they're also gonna say, oh, so can I have it now? Like, can I get it right now? And you're gonna say, no, 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 no. You gotta wait 
until Christmas. When we open our gifts, then you can have it. You've got to wait until the time is right. They should feel better. They should feel at ease. They should feel some peace knowing that they've got what they asked for. Sure, there is still anticipation and hope and desire about actually securing it and actually holding it and actually experiencing it. But they should feel better unless they don't trust you. Unless there's some question about, eh, they told me they got it for me. But I haven't really seen it yet. And I'm not sure if I can take them at their word. Jesus tells us the war is won. You're not experiencing the fullness of it yet because there are still some things that have to play out in the world. But the war is won. And so when we find ourselves in the battles of life, when we find ourselves in the struggles of what is happening, we still have to deal with the reality of those things, but it should bring a much greater sense of peace and victory because we can trust our Father, we can trust our Savior, who has told us the war is won. They triumphed over the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The war was won when Jesus came and was born as a baby. The war was won when Jesus was brought back to life after dying on the cross. The war was won when you, through the word of your testimony, said, I'm choosing to follow Christ. And maybe in days since then, you've gotten nervous. Maybe in days since then, you've had some doubts. You've had some questions. I'd encourage you to go back to that moment when by the word of your testimony, you said, here's what I know. Here's what I believe. Here's who I'm going to become. Here's how I'm going to live. Because the war is won. Let's look at the end of the chapter, verses 13 through 17. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So this woman is given the wings of an eagle and taken to the wilderness. A lot of times in the Bible, we look at eagles as animals that represent, um, you know, help and rescue and the strength of God. 
When you think of wilderness, don't think of like this barren wasteland with nothing and this hard, deserted experience. Think of wilderness as a place of refuge, as a place of rescue, as a place of safety. It says, the dragon was enraged and went off to war against the rest of her offspring. That's us. So this war broke out, and even though the war is won, the war rages on. That's what we feel. That's what we experience on a daily basis in life. The fact that war rages on. The fact that even though Satan knows he is defeated, and even though he knows his time is limited, he's trying to inflict as much pain and as much hurt as he can on people that God loves and on people that God values, which is you and me. It's all of us. Even though the war has been won, the war still rages. The battles still rage on. We see some historical examples of this in actual wars with actual battles. In the Civil War, there was a ship, a Confederate ship called the CSS Shenandoah. It's a ship that captured or sank 38 Union vessels in the time that it was commissioned. And a number of those happened after General Lee surrendered. Because you've got this ship that's out in the waters, and they're hearing word that the war is over. They're not really sure how much of that should they believe. And so they continue on in battle. Now, let's say you're on one of those Union ships and you see the Shenandoah coming your way and you can tell that they're about to engage you in battle. You can't just go to them and say, oh, hey, guys, 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 no, the war's over. Haven't you heard? It's okay. You don't have to come and attack us. They're still going to come. And even though you know the war is over, even though you know you're on the winning side, you still have to engage in that battle. And it's the same with you and me. We know if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you have surrendered your life to him, you know, you can know with 100% certainty the war is won and you are on the winning side. But Satan is still going to come after us in battle. And so we still have to engage him in the fighting that he presents. And so how do we do that? What does that look like? We still have a part to play. And we still have a part to play in our lives individually, and we still have a part to play with those around us. I am very certain that Brandon Manning was very, very pleased that his buddy Ray was thinking not only of his own safety, but of the safety of the people around him. And he experienced, many people experienced the benefits of that. And so in this war that rages on, how much are you thinking about just your own place in it and your own victory and your own safety? And how much are you looking out and thinking about how your part in the battle helps, sustains, impacts those around you. We've been talking for the last few weeks 
about our Neighbors in Need initiative, where we're trying to raise $250,000 to provide 750,000 meals for families in various parts of the world. Have you taken arms with us and engaged in that? What are you doing to help other people in other parts of the world that you might never go to, that you might never meet, to know that there is a war that's being waged on their behalf and they can live in the victory of it if they want. And that can look like you giving 10 bucks. That could look like you giving 10,000 bucks. And can I tell you a secret? It really doesn't matter how much you give. Our financial people might not like me, like me saying this, but it doesn't matter, and here's why. Because God doesn't need your money. What God wants from all of us is our obedience. And so maybe you're sitting here, and what God wants very specific, specifically for, for you is for you to say, okay, God, $10. That's what you're asking for from me? I'm going to give that. And maybe you're here and what God is asking for from you is $10,000. The amount is not what's important. What's important is, are we all collectively being obedient to what God is calling us to do individually? And as we do that, then we'll see success in the battles that we wage together. A little side note on the year-end gift giving in your weekly welcome today uh, there is a misprint and it says that you can give to that until january 31st not true okay year-end gift right means end of the year so you got to make sure if you want to contribute to that you do it by december 31st you can do it online you could put it in the offering later you can bring it by the office you know whatever but it's got to be by december 31st um what about with your time what about with your gifts that God has given you, your talents, your passion areas, your abilities? What are you doing to serve? How are you using your life to contribute to the lives of people around you? How are you coming alongside those who are engaged in war on a daily basis and maybe they're losing and maybe your contribution can help them understand that the war has already been won and they can live in the knowledge of that and in the security of that. So my job around here is I lead our children's ministries and our student ministries across all campuses. And I can tell you that we understand, those of us in our next-gen ministries, we understand the importance of having people say, hey, you know what, I'm going to get involved and I'm going to help and I'm going to serve and I'm going to volunteer because this generation needs people outside of their own home. They need people other than just their parents to tell them about the value that God sees in them and the love that they can experience. This generation, more than any other generation, is believing the lies of the accuser, is believing the lies of Satan about God and about themselves. And it is wreaking havoc in their minds, in their hearts, and in their souls. And we need people. 
that are willing to say, I will give my time to be a part of that war that is raging and help those kids succeed. Last night, after I taught this at our St. Charles campus, I got a text from a buddy of mine. And he said, hey, my takeaway from tonight was I'm going to wake up every day and I'm going to live with vigilance, knowing that I'm in a war. Not in my own strength and power, but in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. And what I love about that is he's doing that personally, and because I know him, I know that every Sunday at 9 o'clock, he leads a group of adults and teenagers that are impacting the lives of preschool kids. He understands the war is raging in his own life and in the lives of those families, and he's contributing. How are you contributing? Not just for yourself, but for those around you. One of the things that I love about being a part of Christ Community Church is that I know that I can just contribute a little bit personally, but I am a part of something so much bigger. So I can give a small amount of money to neighbors in need and be a part of feeding hundreds of thousands of people around the world. I can give a small amount of money and be a part of providing clean water or disaster relief. I can give some time and serve and volunteer and help families or help homeless people or any one of the dozens and hundreds of things that we do around here. And so can you. And so I'd ask you today to think about how are you living in the victory that has been secured for you personally and cosmically? What does that look like for you? Let's pray together. Jesus, thanks for your love. Thanks for the victory, for the war that has been won. Help us to know and believe and live in the truth about who you are and about who we have been created to be in you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.